that's asking people with, th- with this understanding that when Jesus asks a question, there might be more going on than him just trying to gather an answer. Like, were you right or were you wrong? But like, maybe, just maybe there's something else going on. Aaron's very excited about it because she architected it. And so I appreciate you giving me some verbal affirmation. Uh, so our, our first one from today, or for this series, is going to be out of Matthew chapter 16. So if you have a, a Bible, go ahead and open that up. We, we have no slides for the teaching tonight. I know. It's, uh, it's going to get a little crazy. Who knows where this could go, but I can promise you that it will be ending in a little while because I will be watching the Super Bowl. Go Pats. Turned off my mic. Wow. <laughs> God. Thank you, Makita. Uh, so if you, are, if you are physically able, I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word tonight. Uh, we are going to be coming from Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to be starting with verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, this being the very first loaded question of our series, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church in the gates of Hades, will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall not happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray together. So Lord Jesus, we we come before you, acknowledging that when... When the word is read, when the word is received, that there is a seed that is planted, and we trust that you're going to grow that thing. And so, Lord, we come to you with open hands and open hearts. We ask that you will allow us to hear what it is that you're saying to us. Would you give us the power through your Holy Spirit to respond in obedience? In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This is one of the passages it's important to remember that Jesus is Jewish. Uh, so he was actually born into a group of people uh, who had certain customs, certain religious traditions, certain religious laws. 
and there were, there were things that, that good Jewish boys and girls did, and there were things that good Jewish boys and girls did not do. Um, if, if you kind of look at where the, the passage picks up in verse 13, it talks about they're going to a very specific part of the country. Um, and it is a part of the country that good Jewish boys and girls, by and large, they're not going to go to. Um, and, and to a very particular place in Caesarea Philippi where they are going to that you absolutely never, ever, ever go if you're a good Jewish boy or girl. Um, they, they go to Caesarea Philippi. Uh, and they go to, it is, it is widely believed when this conversation is happening, it is happening on the, the, the top of a cliff. And this particular cliff, if you were to go down a couple of hundred yards, what you would see, it's a, it's a sheer face cliff, so it's completely flat. And in the, the side of the cliff is a giant hole. Um, and th- this is the place where all of these pagan rituals would happen, and they would worship a very particular pagan god called Pan. Say Pan. There's no reason to repeat it. It just sounds fun when you repeat things when you're in my shoes. So Pan, uh, and, it, and it's, it's Pan the goat god. Um, and so a couple of times a year, you would have these festivals that would happen right outside the mouth of, the, uh, of this cave. Um, and they would bring a goat, and the, the, the priest and the priestesses who would, be, who would take this goat, and there were certain things that we are not going to name that they would do with the goat um, together. And the entire town is going to be outside kind of cheering them on as they do this thing. And ultimately what they do is they take the goat, they slit its throat, and then they throw it inside the mouth of the cave as a kind of offering. It was widely believed that this cave was the doorway between hell and our world, like in, in, in this particular region, this particular religion. And it has a very particular name. It was called the Gates of Hades. So when Jesus is saying in this passage, and the Gates of Hades will not prevail against you, imagine that Jesus is standing on a cliff and a couple hundred, year, a couple hundred yards beneath him, there is an actual cave that is called the Gates of Hades. And there is this belief that there are demons flying in and out between those. So this isn't, Jesus is talking about a real place, real people, in a real time. And he has some very real questions about what it is that's happening in the hearts and the minds of his disciples. It's worth mentioning that he has taken them from the place where all of the the good Jewish boys and girls are to the place where they will not be followed. So this is, this is sort of like an aside, like a little, a little nugget for you in our sermon that has nothing to do with the wider point. Half of Jesus' time in the three years that he's doing ministry is spent away from everyone else. It is spent away with 12 people. So th- there are going to be times, and maybe this, is, this doesn't connect with you, where you feel like, uh, there are so many needs pressing in around you that you can't say no. And yet, and yet, here is Jesus giving us an example of there are times where you need to pull away from everyone else. And there's something else that you, by saying yes to this thing, it forces you to say no to something else. Half of Jesus' time is spent away from everyone else. Is our life a life that reflects the ability and the discernment to say yes and no to those kinds of questions? 
Or is it like the need is so great, and if it's not me, then who? As if, as if, as if there isn't a God who's wholly aware of what it is that's happening. That's just a little nugget. So Jesus, he, he has his disciples. He has them away from everyone else. And what, what he's trying to get into is like, do they see what's happening right now? And so he asked them a question. Who do people say that I am? Just like a little softball. And the disciples, they give a variety of answers. Like some, some people say, you know, some people say Moses. Other people say other prophets. Others say John the Baptist, who one chapter or two chapters before has just been beheaded. Jesus' cousin and one of his closest friends has just lost his head. And it's, they're saying, like, you're kind of him, but reincarnated, which is an interesting answer. And then he's like, okay, that's great. That's interesting that other people are saying that. Here's the question. Who do you say that I am? So it's, I'm not, it's, we started in the, the first place. What do other people think? What about you? And Peter, who is always one to jump up very quickly, hops up with the first answer. And his answer is, I think you're the Messiah. Like, I think you're the one that our entire people have been waiting to rescue. But then he says something that is brand new in the scriptures. And it's this, and I think you're the son of the living God. So th th there is this, it's, it's difficult to describe because we get so used to the story where Jesus is just, he is God. And we're just used to that. In this, in this story, in this time, it's like the first time that's really been connected together. And, and so it's, you've got this whole group of people who are like, we, here we are under the thumb, under the oppression, under the foot that is stepping on our neck of Rome, and we're looking for who's going to rescue us. And so there were, there were rumblings around, like maybe Jesus is the person. But when they're thinking about who's going to rescue us, they're thinking military. Who's going to ride in? on the white stallion with the giant sword and, like, knock all of these suckers out of here? Or who's the, who's the political leader that's going to do something with Rome and negotiate a peace so that we can get our country back? They're not thinking a dude who's going to end up on a cross. They're not thinking spiritual leader. They're not thinking, they, they are very clearly thinking a military leader. And here you have Peter's like, I, I think that you are this person who has been designed for this thing, who we've been waiting for, but there, there's this intersection that is wholly new. I actually think that you're the son of the living God. So th this is brand freaking new. No one is walking around thinking this about Jesus. And what Jesus starts to see in Peter is the thing that he has been waiting for, and he identifies, he's like, the only way that you would know that answer, there is no other way other than this. My father revealed it. You, you weren't smart enough. You didn't read enough. You didn't think enough. You didn't, you, th there was not enough things that you could do. There wasn't enough willpower. The only solitary way that you could figure out who it is that my real identity is, is if my dad showed you. So think about what Jesus says in John chapter 15. Where he's like, I'm always looking to see what my father is up to. I'm always looking to see what it is that he is doing. And when he's looking at his disciples, he's asking the same question. I wonder what the father is doing. And what he saw in Peter was like the ability 
to see what it is that the father was doing in the same way that he was demonstrating that ability in every conversation, in every action, with every breath that he took. I'm looking for what the father is doing. And Peter is like, wait, wait, wait. I, I know what the father is doing here. You are the Christ. You're the son of, like, this is who you are. I have a deeper revelation, a deeper understanding of your identity. But the only way that he knew was because of God revealing it to him. And so what it is that, that Jesus is actually underlining here isn't so much that Peter knows who Jesus is. It's almost a circling of the fact, and we're going we're gonna to hit this again in a second, when we look at the second half of the passage, that he was able to see what the Father was up to. Well, when, when, when Jesus sees that this happens, he, it's almost like there's a flare that goes off. And he's like, okay, this is the Father's doing something here. And if the Father's doing something here, that means that there's something for me to step into here. And so he starts to go on this thing. He's like, all right, Peter, up to this point, you've had a certain name. Um, but w- what I'm seeing is that the Father has been working on you in a very particular kind of way. And so there's going to be a new kind of relationship that you're going to have to me and a new kind of relationship that you have to the Father. And so up to a certain point, you've had a certain name. I'm giving you a new name. And the, the Greek word for that name is Petros, and it means little rock. Now, in the Old Testament, that's where Peter comes from, Petros. It means the little rock. In the Old Testament, when, when the Lord is described in the Psalms, he's, just, he's oftentimes described as like a rock. And the word that is used in the, the Greek Old Testament is the word Petra, which means the big rock. So you have Jesus, who is representing the big rock, and you have Peter, who is get, being called the little rock. He's like Rocky. You got little rock and you have big rock. What, what, what they're in many ways doing, they're starting to share a name. And then, this is what he says. He's like, look, I have been given all authority on heaven and earth, and I am giving it to you. So now you have a key to the kingdom. It's the same key that I have. In the same way that what I bind on earth will be bound in, on earth, and whatever I loose in heaven will be loosed on earth. In the same way that I have that, you have that. When I write a check, it works for you too. And so we're now going to share keys, and we're going to share a name. And we're going to share in-law. Like, what does this sound like? It sounds like a marriage. What what it is that Peter and Jesus are entering into here is in in the, the theological description is a covenant relationship. It is the deepest of all human relationships, where it is a is emerging in a sharing of identity. It used to just be there was Jesus, and then there was Peter. But because Jesus was able to see that the Father was up to something, he was like, wait, wait, wait. You're like the first that's going to be merging in that identity with me now. So that now, this is how Paul talks about it, when the Father sees you, he's going to see me. Like, when the Father sees your righteousness, which used to be rags, he's now going to see my righteousness, because there's this shared identity that's happened. Fair to say, this is kind of a big deal for Peter. This is a big, big, big moment. He gets to move on from whatever little name that he used to have, and now he gets to be like, I'm Rocky, man. Yo, Adrian! But there's more. Let's keep going. Let's go back to verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples 
that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. This is what Peter does when he hears that. You can kind of get, like, Peter, who is now, like, starting to really live into this new kind of relationship that he has with Jesus. You can kind of see Peter, like, pulling him aside. Hey, like, hey, uh, hey, boss, I don't know if you knew this, but when all this talk about death, all this talk about suffering, all that kind of stuff, you're scaring the fellas. I, now, I know, I know, like, there's something else going on, but you just need to know that for the other guys, it's a little bit scary, and I'm just here to tell you, like, and even if that were a thing, not a chance that's going to happen. I'll dive right in front of that grenade. And right on the heels of this new, very, very new relationship, you can just see Jesus looking him square in the eyes. It's like, get behind me, Satan. Because you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. Imagine, again, think about what it is that Jesus has just starred, underlined, highlighted. In the previous conversation, it was like, oh, you see what the Father is doing. There's a, there's a vision that you have of what it is that's happening in this, in this spiritual, supernatural world. And because of that, I understand that there's something that, is good, that you are drawing, that you're being invited into a deeper relationship. The thing that is being rebuked in Peter right now isn't the, the thing around, like, the death. It's you don't see what the Father is doing. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. If you saw what the Father was up to, you would have kept your mouth shut. Now, here, this is, this is the thing that is very challenging about Jesus when we come to know who he actually is. When he says, who do you say that I am? And our answer is, I think you're the Christ. I think you're the son of the living God. What, what Jesus starts to do is he starts to live into the fullness of that. And the, the, I think the problem for, for some of us, and what you actually see Peter embrace, he doesn't run away from it, he embraces it, is that we want like the soft, fuzzy, lovey-dovey Jesus who gives us like, I'm going to love you forever. I'm going to see, like, I'm just going to, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to give my life for you. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to wipe away all the sins. I'm going to put everything back together. Everything's going to be great. But the moment he starts to ask us the difficult things, like in verse, just the next one, hey, this is what it looks like to follow me. You're going to pick up your cross. You're going to deny yourself. And it's going to get messy. That's when we're like, you know what? That's probably not the Jesus that I want. Like when, when, when Jesus looks at us and says, who do you say that I am? The, the answer is, are we, going to let be, are we going to let Jesus be who he actually is? Or are we going to recreate him and who we want him to be? I don't know that I could. Let me try this again. <laughs> when, when Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? Are we going to let Jesus be who he says that he is? Or are we going to recreate him and who we want him to be? Now here, th- this, is, this is the thing. If you're going to write anything down, this is, these next two sentences are the ones that I want you to write down. 
There are times when we want the kingdom, but we do not want the king. And there are times when we want the garden, but we do not want the gardener. Here's the the issue, though. Without a gardener, that garden turns into a jungle, and we all die. (laughs) That doesn't, (laughs) you hear that, and you're like, man, that doesn't sound like good news. A well-tended garden is a wonderful place. (laughs) There's a a famous thing when, this looks like this, when, when God seems to hate all the same people that you hate, there's a very good chance that you have made them in your image and not his. When God loves all the same people that you love and none of the people that you don't, you have probably made him in your image and not his own. Jesus is going to ask you to do difficult things. If you don't believe me, let's keep reading. Verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. I'm signing up for that party. I'm going to take up their cross. Sounds like a great time. And follow me. Which is a, which means like, At the very least, or at the very most, I am second. At the very most. But I might be third, I might be fourth, I might be at a millionth at the bottom of that list. We are signing up. If Jesus is who he says he is, and the Father has done something in us to reveal who it is that Jesus is, what we are signing up for is for Jesus to be the king. For Jesus to be the gardener. We are signing up for Jesus to be Jesus, not a prefabricated version that feels good in some cases and we reject in others. In the same way that like when I signed up to marry Elizabeth, it didn't mean that I just signed up for the bits and pieces that were the things that I wanted and then the pieces that were broken or fragmented. I'm like, I'm never going to have to experience that or deal with that. That's not what marriage looks like. That's not what relationships look like. That is most certainly not what Jesus looks like. The good news for us, the good news for us is that Jesus is the king that we need, though not necessarily the one that we want all of the time. Sometimes we do want Jesus to be in his fullness. But the thing that, the thing that we need to like circle in the same way, we're going to have the, the band come up, The thing that we need to circle in the same way that Jesus did is the thing that ultimately um, is is the fundamental competency, the fundamental thing that Jesus wants to birth in our hearts is the ability to see what the Father is up to. Like it is, it it would be very easy to be like, all right, the the answer in this situation, if, if, if Jesus is who he says that he is, and I look at my life and I'm not fully sure that I'm living into that. The answer isn't to try harder, which sounds counterintuitive because you'd be like, well, you should try harder. The answer is to find where it is that the Father is already at work in your life and to join him in that place. Do you have ears to hear what it is that the Father is saying? Do you have eyes to see what it is that he is up to? Because if you are working on your strength, if you're working on your power, if you are working on the things that are inside of you to accomplish what it is that Jesus wants to do in and through you, you're done. If it was enough to do that, Jesus wouldn't have needed to sacrifice himself in the first place. 
So when we think about who it is that Jesus says that he is in this first loaded question that we're asking, the thing that we're, we're really trying to embrace is the fact that we actually needed someone to rescue us, and we continue to need him. And we need not, not a version of him, not, a, not, not something that I have in my mind. I need all of him. And that also means that there are going, like, when I sign up for that, when I say yes to that, when I say, I actually believe you are the Christ, I do believe you are the son of the living God, the thing that we say with that is that, and I will deny myself, not through my power, but through his. I will follow you, not through my power, but through his. And in the ways in which you call me to take up my cross each and every day, I say yes. And the way that we know how to do that is we look for where it is that the Father is working. We're going we're gonna to transition now to a, a time where we come to the table. I'm going to invite our communion servers to come up. Yeah, the, uh, when we come to uh, this communion table together, we are... We are, we are asking ourselves the question, who do I say Jesus is? The good news for people uh, who come to the table is we're saying, I, I believe that you're the Christ. And I want to live the whole of my life into the fullness of that. That's what we are saying when we come to the table. It is an identity question about Jesus, but it's also an identity question about me. Because when Jesus looks at me, he sees a certain thing too. He sees someone who was worth sacrificing for. He sees someone who is worth forgiving. He sees someone who is made in the very image of God, who he will never, ever, ever give up on. And that's very good news for me. It's good news for me this weekend. It's good news for me last week, and it certainly is going to be good for news for me in the upcoming week. So when we come to the table tonight, the thing that we want to remember uh, is that sacrifice that Jesus made to put all of these pieces back together so that he wouldn't just be the Messiah, but that he would be the Lord of all, that he would be the King of all, that he would be the gardener, that he would be the great shepherd, and that he would call us into a life that he is in complete control and dominion over, and we would allow him to put the pieces back together. I don't have the power to do that on my own, but he does. So coming to the table is an admission of my powerlessness. It's an admission of my weakness. But it's, it's, it's allowing me to set my eyes on the one who is strong. As Paul says, because where I am weak, that's where his power is made perfect. So we remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it.
he encouraged his disciples on that night that whenever they got together, that they would, they would remember this sacrifice, that they would take this meal and they would be reminded of this new way with life. They would be reminded of his identity. They would be reminded of their identity because of what it is that he accomplished. In the, in the letter that he writes to the Corinthian church, he advises uh, the believers to, to stop to actually do a little bit of work in their hearts. The thing that we're they're really trying to identify here is like, are there places where I have actually been living out of a belief in who you are that is different from who you say you are? Are, are there places that I need to attend to before I come to the table? Not because I have to earn anything, but because I'm inviting you into a healing that needs to happen. So I want to encourage you to take a moment before you come to the tables. The tables are going to be open. We do have a gluten-free option here for those folks who would choose that. And what you do is you just take the bread. It represents Jesus' body. You break it off. Then you dip it into the cup. This is called intention. And then you take it and just ask that the Lord would reveal himself to you. And I'm just going to pray really specifically this week um, that in, in, that in the, the powerful name of Jesus, that what it is that the Father is up to in the places where you live, the places where you work, the places where you play, the places where you are, that you would have an increasing sense of what it is that the Father is doing. That he would give you spiritual eyes, not eyes that you have, they're your physical eyes, but that you would have an increasing sense of what he's doing. Lord Jesus, we give you this meal. It is your meal. Lord Jesus, we give you this meal because it is a celebration of who you are. It is a celebration of what it is that you've accomplished. It's a celebration of who we now are because of you. Lord, we, we come to this table knowing that we have all fallen short. Even within the last 24 hours, there are ways in which we have fallen short. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. So we bless this time. We ask that you would meet with us. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Take a moment of quiet reflection, and then the tables will be open whenever you're ready.
taste it and sing of the goodness of God is so good, so good. Drink from the cup of the water of life. It's so good, so good. Everyone's welcome. We've all been invited to come. The table is ready. There's room here for everyone. And it's so Heavens are open, our God will provide, and it's so good, so good. The hungry and thirsty will be satisfied, and it's so good, so good. Everyone's welcome, we've all been invited to come. The table is ready, there's room here for everyone, and it's so Just as you are, won't you come? You're never too far, you can come. All who are weary and heavy laden, come. Burdens light, won't you come? You
Just as you are, won't you come? You're never too far, you can come. All who are weary and heavy, they come. His burden is light, won't you come? You won't be denied, you can come. Find it. Supply at the feet of Jesus. I'm so good, so good, so good, so good. Yes, it's so Would you stand for our final song? What does it mean? What does it mean to be saved? Isn't it more than just a prayer to pray? More than just a way to heaven? What does it mean to be his? To be formed in his likeness. Show him we have a purpose. Here's our purpose. To be salt and light in the world, in the world. To be salt and light. In the Let world. the redeemed. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. 